Good morning. Hey, good morning, Thrive City. Let's try it one more time. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Well, if we've never had a chance to meet, my name is Pastor Ben. I have the honor and the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Thrive City. And before we jump in, I know that Natasha had already touched on this, but I do want to acknowledge something that you might be feeling this morning. Like many special days, I know that Father's Day carries with it a myriad of emotions for different people. And there are those of us in this room that have had wonderful relationships with our fathers, and that is great, but there are others of us that have not. So it's days like today's that begin to bring up those emotions where, where for many of us, we, we use this as an opportunity to celebrate dads, and for others, it's a day that we mourn something that we feel like we never got to have. And so I'm not saying all of this to be a downer, right? I don't want to start our time together on just a really sour and sad note. I just want to let you know that you are not alone. If that is you, if today is a difficult day for you and we're having ice cream and all this stuff and you're just like, yeah, that's great, but like, I really don't want to think about my dad today. Uh, I want you to know that you're not alone, that there's others in this church that have experienced similar things, that we're a, uh, a group of imperfect people. So we are here for each other, right? Amen. So no matter who you are, I'm glad that you've chosen to join us this morning. Look, I know church in the summer is like a hard thing. You wake up, it's beautiful, the sun's shining, the birds are chirping, and you're like, I gotta go sit inside for an hour and a half. But I'm glad that you're here. My goal for our time spent together this morning is that it would be both helpful and hopeful. So we're a church that believes that the God that we worship is the same yesterday, today, and forever, like Scripture tells us. So the God that we read about doing mighty works within the Bible, within Scripture, is the same God that cares about you, the same God that loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Like we've already mentioned, we are currently in the midst of a short series of messages called Run to the Father, which focuses on a parable of Jesus found in Luke chapter 15 that is oftentimes known as the prodigal son or the wayward son. Last week, Andrew did such a great job at helping us to understand this story from the perspective of the son. Maybe you remember one of his great points. It's kind of stuck with me all week. It's resonated with me. One of the points that he brought up is, hey, don't let your issues impact your identity. The wayward son, the prodigal son, he went and he did a lot of bad things and he squandered his money and his inheritance and all these different things. He very easily could have let those issues of his past impact who he was. So if you are a follower of Jesus, we learned last week that you are a son and a daughter of the king who has a royal inheritance. So today on Father's Day, we wanna continue exploring this parable from the perspective of the loving father who welcomed back this son with open arms. It's important for us to remember that this parable that we're reading is actually part of a, a larger collection of stories. In Luke chapter 15, you can read it for yourself sometime, but there's, there's three different parables that Jesus is telling to illustrate a, the same point. The first parable, perhaps you remember, it's a parable about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them went astray. And Jesus is saying, which one of you wouldn't leave the 99 and go rescue the one? That sheep has value and worth. Wouldn't you go chase it down? In the second parable, it's this, this story of this woman who has 10 coins and loses one. 
Isn't that the most frustrating thing? You got, you got a bunch of change in your pocket and it just rolls underneath a cushion and you're like, ah! That's why Apple Pay is my, my friend. But wouldn't that woman chase down that coin? Right? Especially with inflation. My joke of the day is inflation sure has gotten out of hand, but that's just my three cents. That's so stupid. I got it. Dad jokes on Father's Day. It's all right. Whew. But the third parable is the parable of this lost son. What we see is different things of increasing value and the worth of chasing them down. So we're going to read through this story again. Luke chapter 15, I'm beginning in verse 11. We're going to read all the way through verse 24. It's going to be right up behind me if you don't have it with you. Verse 11, and he said, this is Jesus speaking, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Amen. Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. For while we were still far off, you saw us and you had compassion for us. Through the work of Jesus and through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, you have embraced us and you have shown us love that no earthly father ever could compare to. So Jesus, teach us this morning to be sensitive to your spirit. Teach us the importance of repentance and restoration and above everything else, teach us the beauty of simply receiving your love. We pray all of this in your precious name. Amen. There's a good chance that I have shared this story before, so I apologize if you have already heard this, but the longest grudge that I have ever held dates all the way back to 1995. I can put a date to it. 1995, the good old days. You see, I was in fifth grade. I was in Mrs. DaCosta's class at Huntington School over in Eastwood, and our class, this is very important, very important. Our class was in the middle of a heated game of kickball. 
And the score was tied, and Mrs. DeCosta had made a call that threatened our chance at victory. And I, I distinctly remember the voices of me and my loyal teammates voicing our concerns and demanding justice with righteous indignation. Do you ever remember just being fired up as a kid? You just, it just makes total sense to you. This will not stand. I remember just being outraged only to be met with her words. Guys, it is just a game. There, you will not remember this in five years from now. Well, 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 <laughs> Mrs. DaCosta, if that is your real name. I do still, in fact, remember your egregious calls that cost us that game. <sighs> still pretty sore. Uh, obviously... Obviously, this story is just a silly example of something that is oftentimes a more serious issue. You see, when we feel wronged, when we feel hurt, when we feel attacked, what we do is we end up carrying that hurt with us. Instead of responding with grace, we choose to hold a grudge, allowing that hurt to hang on. Perhaps you grew up with a father or a mother or a parental figure in a family that held grudges. Anybody willing to raise their hand? I will. Whoop. Yo, the Tubbs family, we just internalized. Every time that you would make a mistake or you messed up, it was only made worse because a lot of times they would bring up all the past things that you did wrong. It just makes it even worse. All the times that you didn't seem to live up to their standards, and they'd be like, why are you always like this? All you can seem to do is mess up. Why can't you get anything right? And if that was you and you grew up in a household like that, there's a very good chance that that attitude has been carried with you and has affected you into adulthood. Maybe now you keep grudges because that's how you were taught to deal with conflict and difficult conversations. Maybe you tiptoe around arguments or you do everything that you can to make it look like you have your life put together because you don't want people to be disappointed in you. You don't want people to think that you're a screw-up, that you're a failure. Let me ask you this question. How do you react when you have been wronged? Do you respond with forgiveness? Hey, it's okay. Or do you hope secretly, or maybe not so secretly, that they are gonna fail, right? When I've been wronged, when I've been hurt, oftentimes I don't jump to grace or forgiveness. I'm like, all right, well, let's see how this ends up for you. In the story of the prodigal son, the son's demand for his share of inheritance, Andrew talked about this last week, his demand was essentially saying, dad, I wish you were dead. The only good thing about you is everything that I can get from you once you are gone. As a matter of fact, Dad, you are already dead to me, so give me my inheritance now. Whew. I know some of us have had some rough situations, but I don't know how many of us have ever been a part of a conversation like this. We can only imagine what this must have sounded like, what it must have felt like for the father and how much it would have hurt. After everything I've done for you, after all the things I've given you, everything I already have is yours. 
So as we continue to look deeper into this parable of Jesus, we see not only the perspective of the rebellious son who returns and runs back to the father, but we get to see the perspective of the father. It's interesting to think about that. While the son went off and he squandered his inheritance, ultimately living among pigs, right? Talk about a terrible Airbnb experience. Just living with literal livestock, we're left wondering, Hey, while all of that was happening, what was the father doing? Now, we need to be honest. If it was you or if it was I, I can guarantee you that the story would probably have a much different ending. Right? The minute that rebellious son left, good riddance. Get out of my house. I never want to see you again. Our reaction would likely be all grudge, no grace. Because I'm just going to be honest, that's typically how I act, right? That's just my natural inclination. Good riddance. You know what? I hope you get hurt. I hope you live with pigs. (laughs) However, in this story, what we see happening is a completely different and honestly unexpected reaction from the father. Remember, as Jesus is is telling this parable, the audience that he's explaining it to are the religious elite who have like very harsh standards. And he would have caught these listeners completely off guard. They would have been expecting the father to react like they would have, according to the law, according to cultural traditions, all these different norms, but it was a twist ending. In verse 20, it says, he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What? What? After everything that he did? After how he made me feel? The father did what? One of the things that I love that we can gain from reading this parable and thinking about, okay, what was happening if the father was was watching and waiting, that means that before the son started walking, the father was already watching. Let that sink in for a second. Before the son started walking, before the son made that decision to turn from his ways and return back home and make that journey, that long journey back home, before he started that journey, the father was already watching and waiting and ready for him to come home. We don't know when it started or how long it lasted. All we know is that the father was ready and waiting for his son to come back. What we can learn about God here, God, our heavenly father, is watching and waiting. Sometimes in arguments, sometimes we get so mad. Okay, I can just only speak for myself. Sometimes in arguments, we get so mad that we go out of our way to make sure the other person knows that we aren't watching or waiting, right? I've heard like a comedian explain it before, like you get into an argument with your spouse and you're still in the same household and all of a sudden you find yourself passing each other in the hallway. You're doing everything that you can to not make eye contact and you're just kind of like, excuse me, sorry, 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 no. Trying not to acknowledge the other person exists. Anybody ever been there? I want to do everything that I can to make you know that I don't care, even though you do. 
But think about this. In the story, the father is ready and waiting to receive his son before he knows if he has repented or not. How do we know, how does the father know that the son hasn't come back to try and demand more money? The father's reaction in the midst of all of this was not, first, why are you here? But son, I'm so glad that you're home. The reality is for many of us, we view our heavenly father from the perspective of what we have learned from our earthly fathers. We end up thinking, I I just know that God is angry. I've messed up. I, I bet you anything that he is disappointed in me. He's no longer proud of me. He is just waiting to lay into me. The other shoe is gonna drop. He is never gonna let me forget about this. Or maybe you've had a father who has abandoned you and you're thinking, God probably doesn't even care about me anymore. Maybe he did at one point, but you know what? Everybody in my life seems to abandon me, so why should God be any different? The good news of this story that we read in Luke chapter 15 is that there is nothing greater than God's grace. Amen? There's nothing greater than God's grace. Our heavenly father, like the father in this story, is watching and waiting. His heart is filled with grace for you, not a grudge against you. He has not abandoned you. He is not disappointed in you. He loves you and he wants the best for you. There is always hope. No matter how hard or how often we hit rock bottom, we are never too far from God's grace. God is watching and waiting for us to come home even before we start walking. Romans 5 Verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is alive and active, and more than that, he is proactive. To be perfectly honest, I'm getting a little choked up because I I clearly remember specific times in my life where I, I, I knowingly rebelled against the ways of God. Like, I absolutely know that this is a bad choice, but boy, am I gonna do it. Because it's what I want, it's because what I think will fulfill me, and I know that even in that moment where I was choosing to disobey and walk away from God, he was already watching and waiting for me to come home. As we continue on in this story, as we see what's happening, not only is the father watching and waiting from afar, I bet you anything, that father saw the son before the son ever saw the father. But what we see happening is that the father runs to meet his son where he is at. I love this part of the story. You know why? It's because it shifts the focus from the actions of the son. What it does is it shifts from the son's repentance His decision to run back home, it shifts it from his repentance to now the reception of the father. The moral of the story here is not come home, hope for the best. If you're lucky, if you work hard enough, maybe you can earn your way back to the table, back to being part of the family. No, not at all. In this story where we expect a stern and a solemn father to face his son, we see a father overcome with emotion, racing 
breaking out in an all-out sprint and run to meet his son. In the culture of that day, it was very unbecoming for a full-grown man to run. And you know what? That's something I can get behind. You know what? What an excuse, right? Running? Right? Are you one of those families that does like a turkey trot on Thanksgiving morning? Nope. Sorry, just for me, that's like just culturally not the norm. Full-grown men running? No, I'm just kidding. I did the Syracuse half once a long time ago. It's great. What we see happening is the father taking off down the road towards his son, not caring what anybody else thinks. He doesn't care what his family thinks. He doesn't care what his neighbors think. He's literally girding up his loins, grabbing his clothes of the day, and just booking it down the street. Now here is something for us to think about. Why did he run to his son? Was he simply overcome with emotion and couldn't wait to embrace him? Or is there something else at play? As Andrew did a great job explaining last week, what the son had done, the demands that he had made, the posture of his heart and his actions, in that day was deserving of death. It was a pretty serious offense. And undoubtedly, the neighbors down the street would have heard what had happened They would have seen this son coming, returning home. Hey, isn't that that kid? That messed up? World star, we're about to see some serious stuff go down. They would have known that he was deserving of death. But the father runs to meet his son, wrapping his arms around him in a loving embrace, not just to embrace him out of love, but possibly to protect his life. Now, please understand this is a little bit of speculation, but what a beautiful picture of the cross. Scripture tells us that the wages or the penalty for our sin and wrongdoing is death. Like that son, we deserve to die. But like Scripture says, it's the free gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. While we deserved death for our sin, God lovingly wrapped his arms around us through the work of Christ on the cross. So when he looks at us, he sees Jesus who paid our debt. Amen? So remember, we do not work our way into a relationship with God. We simply accept the free gift that he offers. This is a mindset that we have to continually shake. That God is not some some faraway figure on a mystic mountaintop that we have to seek out and find and work towards. And hopefully we can be good enough to one day find him and access him and enjoy a relationship with him. Luke 19.10 says that the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. How beautiful is that? But the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end in this loving embrace. For many of us, even getting to this point with our fathers would have been a miracle. Wow, I haven't hugged my dad in a long time. I've messed up. and He knows I've messed up. But at least we have this moment. 
If you remember, in verse 21, the son says to the father, likely knowing what is coming next, what he expects to come next, he says, Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad, I know that I have messed up so much that I am willing to just be your servant. I'm willing to be a slave. I know that I don't deserve to be your son any longer. I wished you were dead, and now what? Now you know what? Me, as your son, I, I, I should be considered just dead. Let me be a slave or a servant. But what we see is that the father chooses restoration, not revenge. Hallelujah. Verse 22, the father said to his servants in front of his son, he said, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What an unexpected turn for the son who likely made his entire journey home fully expecting to live the rest of his life as a servant or even a slave. All he wanted was a piece of bread and a place to lay his head. Yet in this unexpected turn of events, the father restores his son, saying, child, you look like a mess. Let's clean you up, my son. Bring out the best robe. Let's put on some jewelry. Let's get some shoes on those, those feet. What are those? I will spare no expense. Sorry, I don't know. I watch too much TikTok. I will spare no expense for you, my child. What we can learn from this story that is so beautiful is for many of us, our journey, our spiritual journey with God ends the minute that we pray some prayer. Jesus, thank you, come into my heart. It ends at that loving embrace. We have now run to the Father. He embraces us. My child, I love you. And we're like, thanks, Dad. We stand in the middle of the road. That's not the end of our story. Our Heavenly Father chooses to restore us. The most important thing that we can understand is this. Looking at the story of the Son, the restoration of the Son began with repentance, but it's completed by the Son simply receiving the Father's love. Do you see the difference? His repentance, his decision to turn away from where he was, the squandering of his money, living amongst livestock and pigs, that's all that he could do. Repentance, turning away from that, you know what? I'm better off at home. Choosing to run to the Father, that is a very important piece of the equation. But it's not the full thing. That brought him home. But what completed his restoration was simply receiving what the Father was freely offering. Do you see how that, how that plays into our understanding of God? Scripture says that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of works, that any, lest any of us should boast. Right? A lot of times we think that you know, we have to repent to be saved, and other people think, oh no, you don't have to repent to be saved, you are just saved, and maybe you will repent. And I heard it explained like a ring of, of keys. 
that we are saved by grace through faith. That is the key that unlocks the door to our relationship with God. But you know what? There are some other really, really important keys on that key ring. One of them being repentance. So when we think about our restoration, that restoration of our relationship with God, if we desire to, to live a thriving life with Jesus, it begins with repentance, us coming to terms with our sinful state, saying, Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot live like this any longer. I need to come home. And we turn away from our sin and we make our way back, but it's something that we cannot do on our own. Our Heavenly Father runs down the street and he meets us where we we are through the work of Christ on the cross. And now no longer is it anything about us. It is only about simply receiving what he has done. So it begins with repentance, and then we simply have to receive the Father's love. So church, this morning, I don't know each of your story. Many of you, I do. Some of you better than others. But if you feel lost, if you feel like you have lived the life of this son, that you have hit rock bottom and you feel like there is nowhere else left to run, I'm telling you, it is never too late to run to the Father. That God, I promise, is not holding a grudge against you. As a matter of fact, he is watching and waiting for you to come back home. And before you even knew his name, he made a way for you to experience a thriving life with him. He is running towards you, even right now with his arms outstretched, saying, Welcome home, my child. All that I have is yours. You are not a slave. You are my son and you are my daughter. Perhaps you are a father this morning struggling with some strong-willed children. Remember, like the father in this story, remember to offer grace. Don't hold a grudge. Lead with forgiveness. Don't just hope that they mess up more and they fail. Be a father who rejoices when the lost is found, be a father who seeks restoration, who loves unconditionally with no strings attached, even when it really, really hurts. Maybe you're struggling with your relationship with your father. What can we learn from the son in this story? Well, we can sum it up. Repent, run, receive. Repent. Be willing to admit when you've messed up. Don't be afraid to reach out to your dad. Um, <laughs> gosh, I'm just checking off all the times I've cried in a message. This is great. Just adding to the list. I think I can make it through this one. Um, I haven't had the best relationship with my dad for a long time. And there was a period, there was a span of like, Four years, we just didn't talk at all. And he works like two blocks from my house. And one of my best friends lost his dad very tragically. And he was the one that like found his dad. And I had to listen to my friend like grieve his father. And it, just, it messed with me because I'm like, look at me upset over an argument. And my dad is local. He lives near me. He works even closer to me. 
what's stopping me? And so I showed up at his work. And <laughs> the uh, receptionist was like, who are you? <laughs> what's going on? And my dad was even more surprised when he came down. I think he thought it was like a prank or something. He's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, can we talk? And I just bawled my eyes out. Both of us did. And it was a beautiful moment where I got to say, like, Dad, like, none of this stuff matters. Like, I don't want to waste my time that I have with you left. And my relationship with my dad is not perfect, but it's certainly a lot better than it was. And I encourage you, if that's you, take the first step. It's really easy to put all the blame on our dads and be like, well, they're the dad. They're the father. They should be the ones that reach out and reconcile. But I encourage you this morning, if we want to be a people of the cross, a people who embody the teachings of Jesus, sometimes we need to take that first step and reach out. Wasn't planning on sharing that, so I apologize if it doesn't fit with some of the other things I said. But uh, like I said, Father's Day brings out a lot in people. Last thing I want you to remember is that we worship a loving father who is watching and waiting and ready and excited for you to come back home. He's ready to greet you with joy, not judgment, with grace, not a grudge. Our Heavenly Father has run to meet us in the road through his Son, Jesus. And all we have to do, even this morning, is just receive the love of the Father, to be welcomed home as a son or a daughter, not a slave. All that we have to do is believe and receive to experience a thriving life with Jesus. So as we get ready to sing one last song if you would just bow your heads with me and close your eyes we don't want to waste this holy moment an opportunity to respond to what we have learned in scripture if that is you this morning and you feel like you have never been able to have a relationship with your heavenly father you have never had the experience of God just wrapping his loving arms around you and embracing you as his child if you want to make the decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, I want to give you that chance. There's no special words or a special prayer that you have to say. It's really more about the posture and the position of your heart. But if you want to pray silently in your heart something like this, Jesus, I thank you. God, I thank you. I am ready to come home. I thank you for everything that you have done on the cross you paid the penalty for my sin. You died in my place. God, you were raised again on the third day, conquering sin and death. You have now allowed me to experience eternal life that begins now and lasts for eternity. God, I submit my life to you. I place my faith and my hope and my trust in you alone. that was you this morning, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. Sometimes I do that. But could you just fill out a connection card? If that was you, if you want to talk more about that, I would love to connect with you, follow up. Make sure to resource you on what comes next. Can you just fill out a connection card, slip it to me or to somebody at the back? We're going to sing 
one last song together this morning. It's called The Goodness of God. And so for the, the few last minutes that we spend together, would we just worship and proclaim the goodness of God that, that no matter what hurt or heartache we have experienced from our, our earthly fathers or, or our earthly children, Jesus, you are good. God, you are good. You love us in the midst of this mess. So God, do what only you can do. Work in our hearts. Change us. Shape us. And lead us to look more and more like your son, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?